The Interchange is brought to you by Prisma Energy Solutions. Prisma Energy Solutions provides a unique financing model for CNI and utility-scale battery storage systems. Prisma's customized lease options can help you reduce energy demand, participate in both energy and ancillary service markets, improve renewables integration, increase system reliability, and reduce your carbon footprint. There's no designer technology risks, no maintenance hassle, and the upfront expense is greatly reduced, especially compared to a system purchase. Visit prismaenergy.com to learn more. The interchange is also brought to you by Vertzilla Energy. Vertzilla is a global leader in flexible power plants, energy storage, and complete life cycle solutions. Vertzilla is leading the energy transition with the Atlas of 100% Renewable Energy, an open access tool based on the modeling of 145 countries and regions worldwide to illustrate the cost-optimal 100% renewable energy system. Find out more at Vertzilla, that's W-A-R-T-S-I-L-A dot com slash Atlas. This is The Interchange, conversations on the future of energy from Green Tech Media. I'm Stephen Lacey, a contributing editor at Green Tech Media, and now a merciless corporate raider. That's right, this week we're holding another fantasy decarbonization draft, the Corporate Climate Raider Edition. We're joining the ranks of Carl Icahn, T. Boone Pickens, and Gordon Gecko, taking over public companies and bending their management and boards to our will, for benevolent reasons, of course, to focus their strategies on decarbonization. With me is the most congenial, caring, cutthroat capitalist in clean tech, my co-host, Shail Khan. He's the managing director at the VC firm Energy Impact Partners. Shail, how are we feeling today? Feeling great. That was amazing alliteration. I'm a man who appreciates <laughs> alliteration, and that was that was impressive. I've been I'm, I thought you'd like that. Yeah, I did. I um I'm doing good. I'm excited for this. I've been rereading Barbarians at the Gate in preparation, um, <laughs> which was one of my favorite books a decade ago or two decades ago. I don't know how long it was. And I'm ready to, I'm ready to buy some companies. Yeah. I was going to ask if you've been watching the film wall street on repeat as well. Yeah, exactly. I'm just immersing myself in, uh, in takeover media. Greed is good when it comes to decarbonization. All right. So regular listeners will know that we've had a couple fantasy drafts over the years where we have picked our teams of technologies as part of a decarbonization strategy. In the first one, we had listeners vote on the best team. And in the second one, we tallied greenhouse gas reductions based on a list from Project Drawdown. And you can find both of those episodes linked in the notes. This week, we have a twist. We're going after companies, public companies to be exact, and we're going to acquire them and propose a climate-centric strategy for their business. So uh, Shale, explain the twist here. So the idea is that each of us has an imaginary 25 billion dollars to spend, a measly $25 billion. Um, we, our, our overarching goal, each of us, is to pick a sector of the economy to decarbonize, to use that $25 billion to acquire public companies, they have to be public companies, and then to you know adjust their strategy according to whatever we would want to do to optimize for decarbonization within reason, right? We can't just like totally transform a company into something they're not. We can acquire up to a maximum of eight companies each with our $25 billion. There's no minimum. So if you want to spend your entire $25 billion on one company, you're welcome to do that. The cost of any given company is its market cap in the public markets as of yesterday or when you, whenever you 
crafted your team list. So none of our listeners are allowed to yell at us if by the time we release this episode, the markets have continued to be extremely bullish for reasons nobody understands. And uh, we end up spending more than the $25 billion that we are allocated as of this moment. Bullish because all those Wall Street analysts are listening to this show. Yeah, they're very excited for the uh, decarbonization takeover. (laughs) And, you know, I guess I'll say for myself, in, in order to keep this reasonable, I sort of primarily focused on North America. I don't know. I don't know how you approach this, but I didn't attempt to decarbonize the world here. I attempted to decarbonize a sector of the North American economy. Yeah, totally. I focused on U.S. companies because I didn't want this exercise to get away from me. So, what happens when we control a company's strategy? What can we do with that company? I mean, that's up to you. You're in control. But I, I think we have to exercise some reason here, and you know, we can let the listeners be the arbiter of what's reasonable. But in my mind, it means something that. Um, wouldn't send the company off in some totally tangential direction for the most part. Though I do have one pick that kind of does that. Um, and something that you think would be within the capabilities of the team and the technology and the customer set and things like that. So operate it within reason. Also worth noting, we are not, I mean, two important points. One, we are not uh, recommending any stocks here. So these are not our suggestions of which companies are investable, actually. That's important. And two, you know, I don't think we're making an attempt here to actually optimize for returns, like economic returns, especially in the short term, right? So this is just a, how would you craft a team of companies in the public markets that could move the needle on decarbonization, uh, setting aside most other variables? Yes, uh, this is a fun exercise. It is not meant to be financial advice. And if you are thinking of taking financial advice from me, then you're in the wrong place. But all things aside, I think it would have been so hard to think about this in a financially viable way. I mean, for me, it was all about strategy. That, that's a whole layer of complexity that I just was not prepared to do. Yeah. I mean, I will say I try, I'm trying to come up with a an idea, a holistic idea that is financially viable. Um, but I'm doing no actual work to prove that out. Right. That, same here. Yes. So this was really hard for me because, first of all, you proposed this, what, three days ago, two days ago? So we had a very limited time window to establish our teams here. Are you making excuses already? <laughs> no. The problem is that you lost both of the other drafts, and so now you feel like you need to make an excuse beforehand so that I you lose this one. I lost the second draft on a technicality, our listeners will, will remember, and, and that was because we made a swap, and I ended up with swaps with a not available score, and if I had kept one of those swaps, I would have crushed you. That's but, unfortunate, let's... but it was also the, your idea to come up with the swaps, so I can't pretend to feel that bad about it. So this $25 billion, uh, I hate to say it, this is not that much money. Did you feel constrained by that level of spending? I Yeah, I mean, I think it was actually a good constraint because initially I had thought maybe we should spend $50 billion. Then I discovered there's a whole class of companies you can acquire when you get to that scale. Just makes it the whole problem a lot easier. So I like the constraint of $25 billion total in the public markets, right? Which, you know, if we can acquire up to eight companies, that means roughly $3 billion market cap maximum if we're trying to go for close to eight companies. Those are pretty small cap companies. So it, it's I think it presents an interesting set of challenges that wouldn't exist if you just had unlimited money. 
And finally, before we get started here, did you have a strategy? Did you go with companies first and build the strategy second, or did you start with a strategy first and then find companies? Bit of both. I think as you'll hear, I was thinking in the context of what do I need? Like what are the the um, positions on the roster that I need to fill? I thought of it like a team actually. Uh, and what are the capabilities that I need to build? And then I went looking for companies that fit those capabilities and had, you know, and were public with a small market cap. And in some cases I knew like right at the outset, I know I'm going to, I know I'm going to buy a couple of these companies. What about you? Oh, I spent 48 hours digging into reports about industry and agriculture, trying to come up with the perfect strategy. And I just didn't feel like it was right. I wasn't finding the right company. So ultimately I went with my gut instincts. I thought about things that, that I think would have a more immediate impact uh, and that appealed to me. And uh, I went with sort of companies first and I went with my gut, like any overconfident capitalist and private equity would. All right. Go with your gut. When has that ever led you astray? <laughs> Apart from the two other decarbonization drafts that we've already done. All right. Let's hear the teams. But first, let's just hear a quick word from our sponsors. The Interchange is brought to you by Prisma Energy Solutions. Prisma helps developers, municipalities, commercial industrial customers all reduce their energy demand charges, generate income, increase grid reliability, and meet sustainability goals. Prisma's five-year lease offering reduces transaction costs and allows customers to benefit from storage without being exposed to the financial and operational risks of ownership. Prisma has relationships with top-tier suppliers and integrators in the battery energy storage industry, and they can customize lease options to fit any customer's needs. There's no design or tech risk, no maintenance or warranty hassle, and the upfront capital expenses are reduced to a minimum, especially compared to a purchase. At the end of the lease term, customers have the option to renew, return, or purchase the battery system, creating even more project value. You can find out more at prismaenergy.com. We're also brought to you by Vertzilla Energy. With 72 gigawatts of power plant capacity in 180 countries around the world, Vertzilla offers flexible power plants, energy storage, and life cycle services that ensure increased efficiency and guaranteed performance. Vertzilla has taken a leading role in supporting the energy sector as it undergoes a transformation toward greater flexibility, efficiency, and sustainability. And based on the modeling of 145 countries and regions worldwide, Vertzilla's team was able to find the cost-optimal energy mix for a 100% renewable energy system in all of the regions known as the Atlas of 100% Renewable Energy. Boy, I wouldn't want to have one of those analysts here battling against us in a decarbonization draft. Sounds like they got all the tools there. The goal of the Atlas is to help customers choose future-proof solutions as we build out the future energy system. Check out the Atlas and see your optimal path at vertzilla.com slash atlas. That's W-A-R-T-S-I-L-A dot com slash atlas. All right, who's going first? Well, like usual, I think we should do a coin flip. I've got this this lucky penny here. All right, let's do it. Uh, so I'll ask you, heads or tails? Don't I have to tell you in the air? Oh, yeah, okay, ready? Here we go. Tails. It's heads. So... Okay, so you get to choose then? Yeah, why don't you go first? I want to learn from your strategy. Smart. <laughs> um, okay. All right. So I picked the power sector as the sector that I choose to decarbonize, um, in part because You went with just... the easy one, because you know it well. Yeah. You're already starting off in an area that you feel comfortable. I don't know. 
if I look, man, if I'm going to go spend $25 billion in a sector, it's going to be the one that I know. Okay. So yes, I picked the power sector. And I mean, I guess sort of strategically, what I decided I want to try to do is build up what be ultimately becomes a vertically integrated, basically soup to nuts, clean energy company in the power sector at scale with an existing customer network, distribution network, existing brand, existing technology capabilities. Like I wanted to have everything and I wanted to be able to do it like truly at scale from day one. Boy, so we know how I'm, that turned out for companies that tried that approach. <coughs> Sun Edison. <Yeah. laughs> this, is, this is effectively the Sun Edison strategy. Uh, no, you'll see it's a little different though. There's certainly some overlap. Okay. Um, and the ultimate goal being, you know, I want to be able to offer every customer in America, be that an individual or business or industrial customer, clean, affordable energy while maintaining reliability and affordability on the grid. So not too ambitious. No, it should be totally straightforward. Okay. So the way that I thought about this is I ended up, um, I found eight companies to acquire. I'm going to spend $23 billion, at least according to current market caps. So I've got some money left over amazingly, which is my slush fund, I guess. And the way that I thought about it is in kind of five categories. So the first one is I needed, uh, I needed some platforms and I needed scale. I needed scale of customers and I needed just like scale to be able to do everything that I want to do nationally. So this is where I'm going to spend the most of my money is making three acquisitions to give myself a few really powerful platforms and scale. The first acquisition that I will make is the by far the most expensive company that I will acquire. And that is, drum roll please, NRG. NRG? Uh-huh. The second largest independent power provider? I don't know what the current ranking is, but NRG, so NRG, this is an $8.72 billion acquisition, which is big for this game. And it's by far the most that I'll spend on any individual company. What NRG gets me is two things. The first thing is they're one of the largest retail energy providers in the country, right? So in competitive markets in Texas and the Northeast, they have a grand total of 3.7 million existing retail energy customers. They also have a ton of generation. As you said, they're a big independent power producer. They have something like 20 gigawatts of operating um, generation, 50 terawatt hours a year. Um, they can deliver corporate renewables on-site and off-site. They can be the platform for innovation for both residential and commercial customers. You know, they're what's called a gen tailor, um, everything but the lines and wires, the transmission distribution, and they're just like an incredibly powerful platform to use to, to do anything that I want to do um, for a lot of people all at once. Are you sure that David Crane didn't pay you to do this so that he could get back at the board for kicking him out? I, I'm very hopeful that David Crane ends up listening to this episode and hears a strategy that he himself might have pursued at NRG had he been able to to see it through a little longer. It's not the same strategy that he pursued at NRG. It is different from that, but there's certainly some overlap. Okay, so what are you going to do? I think rather than telling you what I'm going to do with with each individual acquisition, what I'd like to do is show you all the puzzle pieces that I'm going to put together. And then we could take a look at the holistic puzzle and I could tell you what I would do with that. Okay. So let me, let me talk through the rest of these acquisitions. So first I buy our NRG, I get a bunch of retail customers um, in competitive markets and I get a bunch of generation. Now um, I do need to be able to innovate and operate in regulated 
markets as well, not just competitive retail markets. And I do need transmission and distribution because that is an incredibly important part of this ecosystem. There's going to be a lot of innovation that has to occur there as well. So I need a utility. So I choose to acquire Portland General Electric, the utility for uh, Portland, Oregon and the surrounding areas. That is a $3.84 billion acquisition currently. PGE has 1.9 million customers of its own. So add that to NRG, and I've got already a pretty solid-sized customer base. It's got 1,200-plus miles of transmission lines, 28,000 miles of distribution lines. Uh, It's got relatively progressive regulators in the state of Oregon. It's got a pretty good renewable resource, importantly, both wind and solar in the state of Oregon, as well as hydro in the Northwest. And it's got four gigawatts or so of peak load that I can play with. So now I've got retail customers, I've got generation, and I've got a utility. And the regulators are pounding on your door. They're fine. They'll be fine. (laughs) Okay, what's next? Okay, so then my last platform slash customer acquisition is now what I really want is to solve one of the hardest problems in the transition in the electricity sector, which is how to do something at scale for commercial and industrial customers. We've started to figure out how to do things at scale for residential customers. I'll come back to that a little later. Commercial industrial is hard. So here's my idea. I'm going to acquire a company that already has uh, relationships with and indeed manages some of the components of a ton of commercial buildings. To be more specific, I'm going to acquire Cushman and Wakefield, which is one of the largest commercial property management firms in the world. This is a a little over $2 billion acquisition, $2.1 billion. Cushman and Wakefield has 53,000 employees in 60 countries. They manage 4.8 billion square feet of largely commercial industrial real estate. Okay, a big CNI play. I feel that. Uh, what's next? Okay, so now I've got, I've got a ton of customers. I've got relationships up and down the value chain. I've got a bunch of generation. Now I need... Um, actual installation capabilities for some of the distributed stuff, and I need a retail brand. So first, I acquire perhaps what might be the most obvious acquisition. I buy Sunrun. Sunrun is a $1.9 billion acquisition right now. I get in so doing, I get the largest residential solar company in the country. I get the largest residential battery company in the country. I get what is, I think now the largest residential distributed energy resource aggregator. Um, and I get, you know, what is a, an emergent, I would say, consumer brand. So all these things together are giving me scale and capabilities I didn't have otherwise. We know what happened when a company like NRG invested in downstream solar. It didn't work so well for them. So I don't know. You, history shows us that there could be problems with this. I'm well aware of history, uh, and I feel that this time will be different, and also that this is a somewhat different strategy. But yes, I'm I'm clear on what happened the last time that uh, a company like NRG bought a residential solar installer. Okay, what comes next? Okay, so next, this is this is maybe the weirdest one, but I really want a known consumer brand that is tech forward that I can adapt to be the clean energy brand that I take out to all my customers, residential and commercial alike, right? So I went looking for what is the smallest cap public company with the best known tech-oriented brand. And so I'm going to buy Sonos. 
Whoa, the smart speaker company? Uh-huh. It's a it's a public company. It's a $1.2 billion market cap, just about. So it's very affordable for me. Um, you know, it's uh, a brand that I think is pretty widely recognized. It's in the home already. It's technology oriented. It's a strong brand, I would argue. And so I think I can adapt it to become a platform for a suite of energy-related smart home devices, all integrated with Amazon and Google and all the other smart home stuff, and then a potential expansion into the commercial world. That's a surprising play. I wouldn't have thought that Sonos would be on anybody's list. What's next up? Okay, so now I have the brand. I have most of the capabilities. I've got the customers. I've got the platform. What I am going to need to do is to figure out how to build all this stuff and importantly to finance all this stuff. I want to build a lot of infrastructure and I want to come up with clever ways to structure the financing for that infrastructure. So I need both the ability to raise capital and the acumen to structure these types of deals. Fortunately, I have decided to acquire Hannon Armstrong. So Hannon Armstrong- One of the biggest REITs, real estate investment trusts, is that right? They are structured as a REIT. That is true. I don't think they're one of the biggest REITs. They are a sort of clean energy focused REIT, however, and they are certainly the biggest among those. Um, It's a $2.16 billion acquisition at the moment. And, uh, you know, they're really, it's an interesting company. Um, They have a $2 billion balance sheet. They invest in a whole variety of things, ranging from like residential solar portfolios to land for utility scale renewables to, um, you know, CNI building projects. Like it's a, it's a wide array of different things, which is exactly what I need. They can invest equity or debt. They do some interesting structured transactions. So I get all my financial capabilities out of acquiring Hannon Armstrong. So you've done platforms and scale, retail, consumer branding, now finance and deal flow. What are the other areas you're missing? So obviously the main thing that I'm missing is technology. And I was trying to think about how do I want to how do I want to have technological capabilities so that I can my big business can continue to innovate and roll out innovative new technology products. What I don't want is to um you know invest in more commodities, right? Like I don't, I don't need the technology capabilities to build solar panels or wind turbines or anything like that. I think that stuff's all pretty well commoditized, which is a good thing. Um, But where I think there is still a lot of innovation to be done is on the grid management part of this. This is stuff I will plug into my Portland General Electric acquisition, for example, Um, and some of the DER stuff as well. So fortunately enough for me, I can afford to acquire ITRON. ITRON, you know, sort of rose to power as a a leading provider of advanced metering infrastructure, but does a whole host of things now. DER management, distribution automation, they can be my technology platform that I can roll out and use to innovate across the rest of this platform. And they're a $2.45 billion acquisition. And you have one more, a wild card? Yeah, I mean, look, these seven, I think, get me everything that I need really. Um, and I still had like a couple billion dollars to spend. So I was like, all right, what should I do with my last little bit of money? I thought about a hydrogen company because there are actually a bunch of small cap hydrogen companies like Plug Power and a couple of others. I decided against that. Instead, I'm going to acquire New Flyer. What is New, that? Yeah. New Flyer, uh, they're traded on the Toronto Stock Exchange. They're actually one of the largest um, manufacturers of buses in the United States. So for I, you know, to my friends at Proterra, if you were a public company already, I would have acquired you. Instead, 
I'm acquiring New Flyer, which is a competitor to Proterra. It's a one, a little over a billion dollar market cap. They manufacture electric and hybrid buses. And, you know, I think it would be interesting to have in the portfolio, not because I'm trying to decarbonize transportation here, but because I think buses present a really interesting opportunity for smart charging, potentially, ultimately, particularly with things like school buses, you could do vehicle to grid, um, because of the demand profile of school buses. So, you know, give me my electric bus manufacturer and let me see what I could do with it. Your company is going to topple under the weight of all these acquisitions. I mean, what the heck are you going to do with all these companies? It sounds like a great strategy, but what is the execution here? The execution is that I operate each one of these businesses um, individually oriented further toward decarbonization than they already are. Some of them already are pretty well oriented in that direction. I find the the word that people love to use in M&A, I find synergies across them. Oh, for example, God. for example, ability to market, <laughs> ability to market Sunrun to my PGE customer base and my NRG customer base, ability to roll out iTrons technology, both within the Sunrun portfolio of DR assets and the grid scale stuff that I've got, the ability to finance via Hannon Armstrong to lower the cost of capital for things that I'm deploying both on the regulated utility side and the independent power producer side, the ability to leverage the Sonos brand to lower customer acquisition costs for everything that I'm selling. Uh, so I find all sorts of ways to, to deliver better value. I truly admire the cohesiveness of vision. But once again, I feel like the history of this market shows that Folks who have embarked on that kind of strategy have usually imploded. Look, I mean, I hear you. There have been a number of failed attempts at cobbling together a comprehensive energy platform. This is perhaps even, this is certainly more ambitious than even any of those have been. Like none of those have acquired a regulated utility. None of those have acquired a company like Sonos exactly. So I recognize the thorny territory that I am wandering into, but I trust in myself. I can do it. Well, our strategies could not be any more different. And I suppose that's what makes this show interesting. You took this top-down strategic approach. By the way, when I texted you and asked you what your approach was, you said you didn't have a strategic approach. That was a total lie. I mean, I'm not going to tell you ahead of time <laughs> about my strategy. Steven, do you understand how competitions work? Yeah, but... <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think I said that I didn't have any strategy. I think it was, you know, it was in the formulation mode. Okay. I'll buy that. I, I have to trust you because you're my co-host. So there has to be some level of trust here. Well, I, instead of taking this top-down approach, took a, like a diversified approach. If, if I had all this money, what are the, the areas that I think could have some crossover, but it wasn't about formulating some mega company that could do all these really interesting things. It was about creating a portfolio. All right. What sector did you go after? Well, I went after a couple and some that overlap. So the first was electric vehicle infrastructure. The second was heavy industry. And there's some overlap with electric vehicle infrastructure. And the third was the built environment in both the commercial, industrial and residential space. Wow. So you're trying to decarbonize uh transportation, the built environment, and industry? And you think I'm being overly ambitious? <laughs> well, I don't think that I'm going to have some miraculous impact in this space, but I think that these companies that I'm going to acquire could do something quite special. All right. So hear me out. Do it. All right. So first off, 
what is the biggest problem right now in electric vehicles? It's not performance of electric vehicles. It's not necessarily even cost of electric vehicles. It's consumer behavior and range anxiety and the fact that a lot of dealerships just won't sell these things to consumers. So they're not top of mind. So what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to spend $12.7 billion Whoa. on acquiring a series of companies in the automotive space and in the general store space, the gas station space, to build out an electric vehicle charging network. I like this. So my first acquisition is Casey's General Stores, which is a company worth $5.63 billion. They have 2,100 locations in 16 states, mostly in the Midwest. And then my other acquisition target is Murphy's USA. Murphy USA operates 1,400 gas stations in 26 states. Most of them are located near Walmart stores for $3.43 billion. And what I would do is buy both of these companies and immediately turn them into electric vehicle charger stations um, all around the Southeast and the Midwest. And I would use this as my platform to build out this cohesive network of stations that we need to make consumers more comfortable. And to top it all off as a bonus, I would take their stores and make them more like markets because people are going to be spending more time charging their cars uh, that would sell local produce and maybe some fast, high-quality food with some impossible burgers and get people acquainted with a little bit slower fast food. So uh, it would be an opportunity to both build out the network and do something interesting with these stores that might have a, an ancillary sustainability benefit. I like it. I like it. You're you're buying a bunch of retail outlets and turning them into little hippie havens. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think not to be overly practical about it. The challenge with electric vehicle, public electric vehicle infrastructure is uh, the economics are tough, like the unit economics are tough, right? And so, you know, a lot of the um, public EV charging stations that we see today, for example, at Whole Foods and stuff like that, they're subsidized by the retailer. So if you're planning to be the retailer and to subsidize the cost of all this EV infrastructure, you really got to feel like you're getting your money's worth. Now, there are some solutions to that. There, for example, you could sell advertising on the EV chargers. Um, you can sell you know, electricity and hope that you get high enough utilization. You can get subsidies. Um, but you know that's a, that's a challenge. But I love the ambition. I'm glad that you approve. And I'll hire your firm to help me monetize them. There you go. I mean, probably my um, Cushman and Wakefield acquisition might be already managing some of those buildings. <laughs> okay, the next one is one of the biggest auto retailers for new and used cars, Auto Nation. Uh, it has 360 retail outlets in 18 states across the country. It has sold cars to more than 12 million people, has over 100,000 uh, models. It also owns Alamo Rental Car and National Rental Car. And I would uh, acquire the company for $3.64 billion. Now, what would I do with this company? I would, of course, make electric vehicle sales and rentals a top priority, uh, both in my website design. They do a lot of online sales and rentals, but also it would make them a major priority in the dealerships and put together training for all staff to get them acquainted with electric cars and trucks, put incentive structures in place to make it possible for people, you know, the salespeople to make money off of selling electric cars. I would build a concierge service for electric vehicles. 
that allows people to swap out electric cars and rent rent new types of electric cars to maybe offset the lower maintenance revenue that I'll get because the the you know the maintenance costs for electric vehicles are much lower. That's one reason why auto, a lot of auto dealerships don't like to sell them. And then I would build partnerships with Casey's and Murphy's USA to offer cross promotions at stores so that people are aware of the charging infrastructure that's out there. So to borrow your your wonderful word, synergies, that's quite a synergy there. There it is. You found the synergies. <laughs> now you're now you're into M and A. Now you get it. <laughs> I like it. This is I, this is a good downstream strategy for EVs. I thought about, before I chose the power sector, I was thinking about the transportation sector and I was thinking like, you can't buy an OEM, you can't buy an automaker because uh, you know, either they're private or the market cap is too large. So there's like no solution to that, but you, you found a good one. EVs are ready. It's just a matter of getting the companies that can enable them to push forward. And I feel like this is a pretty strong play in that area. All right, so then you... Then you also tried to decarbonize two other sectors? Yes. Uh, so I ca- say heavy industry, but one of the plays is um, heavy-duty transportation, heavy-duty trucking, trucking. So I would buy Swift Transportation, the largest common carrier in the U.S. They have 23,000 trucks. Whenever you're driving down the highway or the interstate, you probably pass lots and lots of Swift trucks. You can see their logo. It's pretty recognizable. And I would buy Swift for $6.8 billion. Um, now, trucks right now are the fastest growing source of global oil demand. Um, they're going to account for about 40% of oil demand growth through 2050 and 15% of the total increase in CO2 emissions. So figuring out heavy-duty transportation is really crucial. So what would I do here? Well, I think I would try to convert as many trucks as possible in their 23,000 truck fleet to electric. Um, If that didn't make all if it didn't make sense to convert them all overnight i would focus on stuff like liquefied natural gas uh maybe some kind of biofuels blend um, definitely hydrogen and the goal would be to as quickly as possible phase out and potentially retire internal combustion engines Um, also i would invest very heavily in improved aerodynamics you know, reduce rolling resistance, weight reduction, engine efficiency for the internal combustion engines, and and hybridization. So those are some areas that uh, I would overhaul if I bought Swift Transportation. Solid, yeah. So that stays in the transportation sector, and it actually like fills one of the gaps, which was you had light duty and you didn't have anything in heavy duty. So do you have more in industry? Yes, this one is squarely in industry. I would acquire. Floor for $1.65 billion. Floor is one of the biggest engineering procurement and construction companies in the world. It mostly services oil and gas. It builds offshore drilling platforms, petrochemical facilities, steam generation systems, and cooling systems for electric power plants. And what would I do with Floor? Well, Floor has actually had a renewable energy business since 2006, I believe. Um, and, And they are a substantial EPC in this area. But I would try to completely phase out fossil fuel construction and focus, ex- use my power and scale to fo- focus exclusively on renewables and batteries and maybe other infrastructure projects with a strict environmental performance metric tied to it. Yeah, you know, I thought about acquiring an EPC company for my power sector as well. 
And I didn't think about floor, but that's a good one. I, it, you know, that's not really an industrial sector decarbonization solution. You're, but it is, I mean, you're saying you, you could use it to decarbonize a number of different sectors. Yes. I would both use its power to get into renewables and clean energy, but also to walk away from fossil fuels and set a statement. Now, this is, if I were as a company like Floor, uh, this is something I should have mentioned earlier. I would be using my weight in associations, in industry groups to be pushing for a, sh a lobbying shift, right? So if I owned all these gas stations, I would be lobbying transportation associations to be pushing for more electric vehicles. I would be using floor to be pushing the you know petrochemical associations and the American Petroleum Institute and so forth to be pushing better climate policy and not fighting climate policy. So I would use my power in that way too. It wouldn't be just a an investment strategy. It would be a power play. A power play, so to speak. I get it. <laughs> All right, what's left? I've got two left. The next acquisition would be a very small acquisition for $510 million. It is a company called Integrated Electrical Services. Um, it's a company that provides communications, networking, uh, electrical system design, security alarm systems to the commercial industrial markets and to the residential markets. And it services mostly multi-family housing in the residential market. And so I would take this company and I would focus exclusively on using my expertise for full building electrification. I would also reformat my residential business to start selling uh, or even giving away smart thermostats and other energy-related products on top of the security systems that I'm installing. I would also train contractors heavily on building electrification. And then again, on the lobbying front, I would lobby electrical associations to push for more all-building electricity policies in localities and states around the country. So I see what's happening here. You're basically Warren Buffett, where you're just like making good acquisitions where you see them. And maybe there's some synergies among some of your companies, but largely you're just like operating a loose confederacy of decarbonized businesses. Whereas I'm like Jack Welch and I'm like trying to build one massive behemoth that is holistic and serves all my purposes through all my acquisitions. I think that's very appropriate. And I love that because what happened to GE after Jack Welch left? Look, I, I Jack seem to Welch remember GE has had some serious problems. Um, <laughs> and yeah. and uh, Warren Buffett's doing just fine. So he is doing I'll just take fine. I'll take it. It's true. Okay. The last acquisition for me is KB Home. KB Home is the fifth biggest publicly traded home builder in the U.S., has built well over a half a million homes. It is a big adopter of solar, particularly in California. I mean, it started putting solar on all new builds in Southern California a decade ago. It got into solar seriously in 2006. It set up partnerships with SunPower. It has, for the last nine years, touted energy efficiency and zero net zero homes. And this is an acquisition worth $2.93 billion. So KB Home is the type of company that's really primed to take this to the next level and start fully electrifying homes, building out gray water and rainwater recycling systems, offering electric chargers built in with new homes. And I mean, this is my residential building electrification platform. And I would also, once again, use my lobbying power to push homeowners associations and trade associations to advocate for laws that codify this kind of development. So that is my residential play. 
There are actually some similarities to our strategies, right? Like you, without saying it the same way, you acquired yourself into a ton of residential homes, a lot of commercial buildings and retail outlets, um, and some of the capabilities to decarbonize each of them. So that brings my acquisition total to $24.67 billion. I'm still trying to figure out what to do with that $300 million and change. Maybe I'll take you out to lunch. Uh, That would be very nice of you. I think I still actually have $2.1 billion left to spend. Uh, So I'm feeling relatively flush myself. Hmm. Well, if I'm going to be honest about our picks, I really like your approach here because it was very cohesive. I'm not sure the real world backs it up. Uh, Whereas my approach probably has a lot of holes in it, but I think the portfolio approach is probably more financially sustainable. So the big question is who won? I don't think we can say, but hopefully our listeners can choose and we can eventually find a winner. I have faith in our listeners to make the right decision. (laughs) Okay, so here's how this is going to work. We're going to put together a list of Shale's team and my team. We'll put them in the show notes. And then when we release the episode, we'll tweet out a poll for you to respond to on Twitter. And that's how you will determine the winner. So go follow Interchange Show. Follow me and Shale and our senior editor, Ingrid Lobet. And we'll all tweet it out there. And uh, then you will get to decide who is victorious and who hangs their head in shame next episode. How do you feel about your career as a cutthroat capitalist, Shale? I feel pretty good. I feel pretty good about it. I, I I still like how I approach the problem, though I will admit to being less confident in having won this time than in the previous drafts. I just feel great being called Warren Buffett. So <laughs> yeah, I regret that. I <laughs> full of regret. Well, again, go vote when the episode drops and we'll announce the winner in the next episode. In the meantime, if you really like what we're doing here and you find this show valuable and entertaining, go over to Apple Podcasts or to Stitcher or to anywhere you get your podcasts and give us a rating and review. We really appreciate it. Um, Of course, you can find us there on social media, on Twitter, if you want to suggest ideas along with voting. And Shale Khan is my co-host. Ingrid Lobet is our senior editor. We're a co-production of Postscript Audio and Green Tech Media. And we'll catch you next week. This is the Interchange Conversations on the Future of Energy. 